Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. If you'd like to turn to Nehemiah chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9 in your Bibles, I'll give you just a moment to get there. This morning we're going to talk about understanding, understanding your spiritual heritage. Uh, Even this title is not so original to me. I read some articles this week. And you know what? Um, Psychologists and psychiatrists in our world, and particularly in our country, get paid billions and billions and billions of dollars to help folks, to help me, to help folks understand why we do what we do. And one of the, I want to be careful how I use my words because I am not a psychologist or psychiatrist and I do not play one on TV. But, um, um, But I have been under the care of counselors, amen? I've been under the care of counselors and people who helped me along the way in my life's journey. So number one, there's no shame in that, and I say it out loud for that very purpose. Secondly, one of the things that over the years in recovery that I have encountered was an, was an instruction and assistance in understanding where I come from understanding maybe a little bit about why I do what I do, and maybe it has something to do with my family of origin, that place, that human place from which I come. But it runs so much deeper than that, amen? Men and women, you and I, we are each one created in the image of God. You are image bearers of the sovereign creator of the universe. And yet the children of Israel here in Nehemiah chapter 9 are going to encounter this very thing. They are going to gain, they are going to share their their understanding of their spiritual heritage, where they come from, their relationship with God, and why they did some of the things that they did in their families and as a nation. So here we go. Anthony read the scripture, right? Remember the Feast of Tabernacles has just ended. They had a a seven-day celebration. They read the scriptures every day. They lived in the booths, again, to remember their heritage with God, right? The 40 years, this was to commemorate the 40 years that they wandered in the desert and did not have permanent homes. So they built these booths and they lived in them for a week. They worshiped, they came together in community. Uh, They read the scriptures every day, right? So God is dealing with them in their hearts and in their lives. But now the celebration is over. They've, They've had a solemn assembly. And now on the 24th day, remember we talked about the month of Nisan and the seven-day celebration and when it started. By the way, I, I, I let you know last week, I wasn't sure if my math was correct. I was uh, so excited to see that my math was correct because chapter nine says on the 24th day, right? So 15 and eight was 23 and on the 24th day, I was excited about that. The Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. They took this humble position of mourning, the dirt on your head signifying um, from the dust you came and to the dust you will return, O human. 
and signifying their humility before God and confessing their sins. Uh, next slide. So what we're going to see today is a penitential, not penitentiary, okay, everybody relax, the penitent, a penitential poetic prayer. That's a lot of words with a lot of syllables, in, but I tell you that because because penance or penitent, if I am a penitent, right, I am one coming, um, making confession of sins or wrongdoings, including sorrow, knowing that it is an offense to God. Now, there are five psalms, and um, there are five psalms. I didn't list them here because I know if I go down a rabbit hole, I'm not coming back. But there are five psalms, and they're called the Psalms of Penitence. And if you ask me later or send me a text, I'll tell you which ones they were. Again, they're not here today. But this was David. This was a psalmist crying out, confessing his sins, but extolling the greatness of God. So this whole thing about understanding my spiritual heritage, what we're going to see this week and next week, right? Israel is recounting their history, the history of their relationship with God in verses 6 through 38. And so next week, Anthony will be preaching part two here, and we're going to see what actually takes place throughout the course of the history of Israel. And you are aware, right, of a lot of their history. But so now they're in this position of humility. They're confessing their sins. But here is a key here in verse 2. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Now, often in these prayers of penitence and if um, and in the Psalms too, you'll hear this term repeated, but they are confessing the sins of their ancestors. And what they are doing is acknowledging, acknowledging their history with God and acknowledging some things that they know um, um, that are pitfalls that they either have encountered themselves or will encounter because of where they come from. So number one, what we're talking about right now is identifying and repenting of generational sin. All right, we're going to go, oh, I did put, I did put the script, some of the scriptures in here. Very good. We're going to talk a little bit about generational sin. Next slide. So I think this is Exodus, uh, we have Exodus 34, 6 and 7 here. So uh, then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. So I believe this is where Moses is up on the mountain with God. Um, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness, chesed, right? God's mercy, you know about that. Who keeps mercy for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. This is a hardcore scripture. I remember several years ago, a friend asked me to come and share uh, at his men's breakfast at his church. And uh, I, was, I was honored, of course, as pastor's a dear friend of mine, um, one of my young guys. And, and I decided, he said, you know, he had some mostly dads in his group. And I said, well, would it be all right if we talked about generational sin and, and family sin and curses? And he said, uh, I think so. 
and, and so we did. But here um, we're going to, hmm, I want to be thoughtful again uh, here. I think um, what God is saying here is that in his mercy and patience, he will forgive your sins and mine, and that you and I, we have the opportunity to not repeat the sins of our fathers. And if we do, in fact, find ourselves um, sinning the same sins of our fathers, um, our generational sin, he's saying here that God is long with patience and slow to anger, which means we can stop. We can recognize, know where we come from and from whom we come, and then we can make it better for the next generation. Now, bit of transparency here. Prayed this prayer for years and years, right? Um, there's one of the generational sins in my family. It's addiction, and you all know that you all know that addiction comes as, as a result of deeper issues in people's hearts and lives. And, and you know that there are hurts, habits, and hang-ups that cross from one generation to another. And yet one of our generational sins in our family uh, is addiction. So I prayed against that as a person, uh, as a person in recovery because, um, because I didn't want to pass that on to the next generation. So I confess to God my failure to trust and obey him. And then I stopped using drugs and alcohol and God broke the addiction in my life. And then I began to pray, Diane and I began to pray for our children and our grandchildren. We didn't even have grandchildren back then, right? And we're praying because we know what God can do. And yet sometimes we have to answer hard questions in our lives, right? Um, my mother and father lost two children to addiction. Um, and, and, you know, the, the violence and addiction and everything that accompanies that. And, and so I said, I never want that to happen. And we prayed for years and years. And, and as it turns out, so many years later, you have questions why I, I lost, we lost our son to addiction. Because we broke, we thought, I thought, my theology, I went back to God and I begged God. I said, God, please help me understand. Please help me understand. So our son knows Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he's in heaven with God today, and he's not in pain any longer. And yet I have all these questions for God. Why did this happen, God? Because I confessed. We broke the pattern. We, we cried out to you, right? And yet sometimes, so, so secondly, and this is not up here. We can, we, can, um, we can stay there, is that sometimes we just don't understand. Because I can tell you that God has been merciful to me. And I can tell you that God has been very patient and slow to anger with me and with my family. And yet uh, I have this unanswered question that I have to commit to God and say, God, uh, please help me understand. God, there are things about it that I just don't know. But we have as our example, next slide. This is, so Abraham, right? So you know in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham out. Abraham acted on his faith. He left his family, his home. Well, I mean, you know, most of his, his ancestors, his ancestral home. He left the Ur Chaldees. He took his wife and all his wealth and he took, and he obeyed God. And remember, Abraham was justified by faith. He, he exercised faith in God and then he obeyed God. But in Abraham's family, there was a generational sin. And I never thought about it this way. So you can read um, in, in um, use your words, Charlie, in Genesis chapter 12, um, 
excuse me, you can read, yeah, in Genesis chapter 12, and in the beginning of God's relationship with Abraham. And then in Genesis 15, right, God articulates this covenant relationship with Abraham. And he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all the nation. I'm going to begin, start a nation with you. You're going to bless. Your family is going to be a blessing to the entire world. He, offered, he gave Abraham this inheritance, this promised land. And so Abraham has this relationship with God, but yet Abraham had in his family the sin of deception. You say, really? Yeah. So Abraham, so when Sarah uh, and Abraham went out and left, she was a beautiful woman. They went into a foreign country. He said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell people um, you're my sister, which is kind of a half truth, right, because of their family. But it was really a deception because if they know you're my wife, they're going to try to kill me so that the, he could take you for his wife and just kill me. So we say, we'll say you're my sister. So they did that. The king calls her. You know what happened, right? And and all of a sudden, some bad things start to happen, and he realizes that Abraham had deceived him, and he didn't want to mess with Sarah because God would get him, right? And so he goes back, and he says, Abraham, you lied to me. Why? He said, hey, I thought you were going to kill me and take my wife. And really, the truth is, the guy probably would have done that. So Abraham, basically, he, he sinned against God. Well, Abraham didn't do this once. He did it twice. He did it twice. And then guess what? Isaac did it. Yeah. Who else did it? Jacob did it? Yeah. Isaac's wife, right? And, and then Jacob did it. And so you see the sin of deception being passed down in three generations. Three generations. And so, and so sometimes, and I, and, I, and I don't want to minimize this, when we go back and we think, and, and I don't want to play Dr. Phil and I don't want to upset anybody. So in, my, in your relationship with God, when we go back, and, and, and take stock of our family, our, our family generations and where I come from. And let me just say this, what I've learned to do is take all of the good things, right? Because I'll tell you what else I received from, from my ancestors, um, particularly my mother and my father was my faith in Jesus Christ. My mother and father, I watched them become born again. I watched them wrestle in their relationship with God. I was old enough to understand those things at the time. And then I became a follower of Jesus, mostly because of the, mostly because of the actions of my mother and my father. So, so I'm not being negative here. We're saying understand where you come from. Your spiritual heritage, whether it is much or little. The good things about your family. Um, I've inherited a lot of good things right? My dad, I'll never forget this, and here I've ended up where I am. Uh, on Sunday mornings, my dad would take the van and pick people up for church, true story. But another thing he would do, if he saw some of the guys and women around a the neighborhood, they would be hitchhiking up to the methadone clinic. This is back in the day now, y'all. Hitchhiking to the methadone clinic on Sunday morning at Prince George's Hospital, PG Hospital, where the only methadone clinic in the whole county existed, right? It was a controversial thing back then. And they would, people would be dope sick. They would be trying to stick to their program and get their doses. And my dad, on his way to pick folks up for church, would pick these guys and girls up if he saw them and drive them to the hospital and drop them off on his way, on his way to take folks to church on Sunday morning. 
And there were folks who found out about that that didn't necessarily, you know, agree with that. And I promise you, I promise you, my dad was exercising the love of Jesus Christ and mercy towards people who were suffering an addiction and trying to get out of it. And that changed my life. So, so those are the type of things, the experiences, and you'll go back and you'll remember. You'll say, wow, it could be because of what my dad did. It just gave me a heart way before I even knew it, way before I even knew it. It gave me a heart for people who, who wrestle with addiction like folks do here in our city. And all these years later, I praise God for my mother and my father because they also gave me my spiritual heritage. Lest we digress though. So Abraham, the sin in his family was de deception and then the word of God shares it with us through three generations of his family. And sometimes looking at these things is hard, it's challenging because you'll say, this, I think this is the, the generational sin of my family, fill in the blank. And it has impacted your life. Or you don't want it to impact your life. And you say, how can I prevent that? And so we're going to see a couple of these things. So, so one, now, understanding our spiritual heritage, identifying and repenting. So we identify this generational sin. And I pray and I beg God not only to heal me, but to allow me to set the table for the next generation in my family. And I say, God, please give me that opportunity. And then secondly, and we're going to see now, taking personal responsibility. The Israelites have put themselves in a position of humility. They're crying out to God. They're confessing their sins, the sins of their ancestors, the sins of their fathers. Uh, I like that word better. That's what the Bible says. And now, ooh, pick me. And now, we, you got me on that one. Taking personal responsibility. And we're going to see that here. Um, we're going to see that here in this prayer, um, this poetic prayer of penitence, that one, they cry out to God and acknowledge who he is. So God, you are the sovereign creator of the universe. I'm created in your image. You love me. You're merciful. You're patient. You're slow to anger. So I know, God, you're going to give me the opportunity. And then we see in the word of God that one must take personal responsibility um, in this matter. So Galatians 6, 7, and 8 say this, do not be deceived. Be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. With the principle of sowing and reaping. There is a basic principle. This principle is very spiritual, but it's also very human. Watch this. Even if one does not know Jesus Christ, if one goes out into the community and one sows hard work and education and hard work, one might reap um, economic benefits, some accumulation of wealth or a standard of living. Because why? Because you sowed hard work, you were honest, you worked hard. But we're going to go a step further here, though. As he says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. One can attain all those things, but if one does not sow spiritually, one will experience corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So we have this principle of sowing and reaping. What you and I sow in our day-to-day -day lives, not only will we reap the benefits or the consequences of that, but we're setting the table for the next generation as well. Do you want your children and your grandchildren and you're never too young to start and you're never too old, never too old to do it some more? Do you want your children 
and your grandchildren to reap the benefits of your spiritual, of your spiritual understanding? Do you want them to reap the benefits of you confessing and forsaking the sins of your family and showing them Jesus Christ? So we have here then part of taking personal responsibility is recognizing this principle of sowing and reaping. Um, next slide. Man, listen to what God says through the prophet Jeremiah. In those days, they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. So at the same time that we have this idea of generational sin and generational curses, the Bible also teaches, and it is a both and, the Bible is not contradicting itself here, but it says, although there can be a generational or family sin that you and I have to recognize and deal with, God will judge each one of us based on our personal relationship or the lack thereof with him, which includes obedience and disobedience, right? Um, therefore, the Bible says, take responsibility, right? So you're not gonna, the kids aren't gonna taste the sour grapes of the father. The kids are gonna taste the sour grapes that they eat themselves. So the next generation also has to do the same thing, recognize, recognize the propensity of the generational sin that they might be um, exposed to because of who they are and where they come from, but also taking personal responsibility, calling it out here, confessing this sin. I'm going to be like Israel. I went to meetings as a 22, 23-year-old young man. I went to AA meetings and NA meetings, and some of the meetings I went to were very spiritual. Some of them were Christ-centered. Some of them were not. But I remember feeling as though I had sackcloth and ashes and dirt on my head because I went there with a spirit of humility because we wanted to break that cycle in our family. Because we wanted to be, I wanted to be spiritually healthy as well as physically healthy. Because I wanted to sow good things for my, my children and then my grandchildren that I didn't even have yet. So we have to take personal responsibility. I can't say it's all my dad's fault. As a matter of fact, folks like to say the devil made me do it. Um, I'm sorry, I forget the ancient sitcom and some of you wouldn't get the reference anyway. People said, right? People say the devil made me do it. James chapter one says, no, -uh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. The Bible says, um, oh, wow, I'm not messing this one up. This is too good and it's not in the slides. I know, right? James chapter 1. Here we go. Watch this. And I'm, I'm not even using my own Bible here, so be patient with me this morning. Verse 13, James 1. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. No, the devil didn't make you do it. You made you do it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, pastor, come on. You can't be serious. Yes, I'm very serious. Why? Because that's what the Word of God says. God didn't tempt you. The devil didn't tempt you. You did it. 
You gave in to, to I. I gave in to temptation and I sinned. I oh, know, I'm supposed to talk about me, not you. Right? So, so we know where it comes from. Taking personal responsibility. Number three, number three, responding to generational or family sin. These are four principles that are not, these next four principles here are not original to me. Um, so Institute for Basic Life Principles. I'll never forget, man, when I was a kid, I thought my parents would give me the worst punishment in the world. We all went to the CAP Center, and again, I'm dating myself here, the Capital Center where the Bullets, that was their name, used to play, yes, in Landover, Maryland, in PG County. And there was a conference there, and there was this guy named Bill Gothard, and he had the Institute for Basic Life Principles. And I must have been like only like 12 or 13 years old. And for like three days, like eight hours a day, I had to sit in a seat in the cap center where I'm supposed to be watching a basketball game. Listen to this man teach us about basic life principles and tell us about Jesus. Come on, man, when does the game start, right? But, but so I found this after all these years and I'm like, oh, wow, right? So he says some things that are very biblical, very meaningful, and I think they're worthy of us at least um, jotting them down today. Acknowledging, here's what we must do. One, we acknowledge generational sins before God, right? We already talked about that. Number two, repent of similar sins in our own lives. Sometimes you and I might not even be aware of that. Someone else might make us aware of that. Don't be mad at your special friend when they make you aware of that. Be remember that, <laughs> oh. So, so God will strategically place, amen, God will strategically place people in your lives, in your lives, and use them to make you aware of these things. And then receive cleansing and forgiveness through Christ. And then, most importantly, here it is, um, submit to the word of God as it relates to the areas of our inherited weaknesses. Say, what does that look like, Pastor? That sounds rather nerdy. That looks like you and me slowing down, sitting with the Word of God, reading it more slowly than usual, and when we observe something that we think might have to do with our, the generational sin or sins in our family that could impact us, take a highlighter and highlight that verse. Take your journal and write that passage down so you can come back to it later in the day, later in the week. Maybe some of you are so self-disciplined that at the end of the month, you go back and review your journal from the previous month because you're more disciplined than me. But what God will do, God will use that to, re to reveal to you some of those things. And, and please, I beg you, uh, I beg you, don't go to mom and dad's for dinner and tell them all the generational sins in your family, okay? Don't do it that way. Just don't. Ask God to give you wisdom. I'm not telling you how to do it. <laughs> because ask God for opportunities. But don't, don't go to your parents' house for dinner and tell them all the family sins. One, they're, they're very aware of them themselves, whether they want to talk about it or not. They're aware of them themselves, whether they love Jesus like you do or not. They're aware of them. And um, I think um, a friend of mine does say to me, in Jesus' name, Charlie, timing is everything. I believe, I, can, I, I believe that principle can be biblical. So, and again, um, next slide. And we see this too, um, 
worshiping God. Um, we're we're going to see here. Let me get back to Nehemiah. I am back to Nehemiah. Um, here's where God saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials. God delivered the children of Israel from bondage for his glory because he loved them, because he was in a covenant relationship with them. God delivered them from bondage. Sin was not excused. It was atoned for with the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of the house. So God delivered the children of Israel from physical bondage. And this is not a stretch to say that God will deliver you and God will deliver me from the bondage of the sins of our family when we ask him to. Amen. God delivered the Egyptians from bondage. Also, he came down on Mount Sinai, and we, we talked about that. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws. You know, when Moses was up on the mountain, and this begins, and um, this begins the pattern that's going to take place through the rest of this prayer. Okay, so the prayer is verse 6 through 38, right? We're only going to talk about a little bit of it this morning. Anthony's going to bring it home next week. Um, but you're going to see this history and cycle in the families that make up the nation of Israel of worshiping God, being in right relationship. They break covenant with God. God disciplines them, but God remains faithful. They come back. They worship God. They get complacent. They sin again. God disciplined. Does, is this starting to sound familiar? And so throughout the generations of Israel, this is the history of their families. Sometimes it is like my history in my own covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the final covenant. Amen. He is our savior. Amen. We can't lose our salvation. Correct. And yet sometimes I am not faithful to the covenant relationship. God called his own people. I've cleaned it up these days. God called his own people adulterers and adulteresses because while Moses is up on the mountain hearing from, hearing from God Almighty in person, they're down there collecting up the gold to make a golden calf, worship the calf, and tell all the people that the calf's the one that brought them out of Israel. Now look, we could say it, I could say it how dumb they are, um, but I have this same pattern in my own life. God is revealing his will and his purposes to me for my life through his word and through the Holy Spirit. And I can come down off the mountain and go worship something that I make more important than God. And then I have to confess my sins and cry out to him and come back. So we're talking about how do we respond here to generational sin. Um, so God chose Abraham. We see that God saved Abraham. God was patient and merciful to Abraham. Next slide. We saw that, right? So God does number five here. Worshiping God who delivered them from bondage. You and I worshiping God on a regular basis, hearing from the word of God. God will miraculously deliver you from your enemies. Sometimes I am my own worst enemy and God has to deliver me from me. Amen. Some of y'all figured that out around lunchtime and you're going to say, oh, that was good. 
leading and guiding them with his presence and his word. Here's what happened. Well, um, here's what happened. Let me get to the right verse. Um, Therefore, verse 17, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God. Verse 19, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. Here it is. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way which they were to take. God did not remove his presence from his people. God did not remove his presence from his people. Amen. They sinned. He delivered them from the, he delivered them from the Egyptians. They get down, they hear Moses hears from God, right? It's supposed to be a high time and they turn their backs on God, right? And what did God do? He continued the pillar of smoke in the daytime represented God's presence in the Holy of Holies, the Holy Spirit. God was there. God's presence abided with his people. At night, pillar of fire, same thing. God was leading and guiding his people. God will lead you and guide you in covenant relationship with him. Sometimes you and I will sin. Sometimes God will discipline us. And hopefully we assume a position of humility with a little sackcloth and dirt on our heads, confessing our sins and walking more closely with God for hopefully a longer period of time this time, amen? So we see this history with God. He leads and guides them with his presence. He gives them his word. He gives you and I his living and active word. We uh, talked this morning with the men, and one of the things we talked about was the gospel message, receiving, hearing the gospel message. The gospel message comes from the word of God. When you got saved, when God called you to salvation, if you do not know Jesus yet as your Savior, maybe today will be that day. God uses his word to, to give you the gospel message that you will hear and respond to. So it is the word of God. God gives us his word. That will keep you healthy. That will lead us towards obedience. The Holy Spirit and the word of God will take us where we need to go. Uh, these are some basic principles, and sometimes we do enlist the help of counselors and other doctors who uh, sometimes have the title of psychologist and psychiatrist. Some of them will reveal something to you, but it will really be God revealing it to you through them, and it will change your life. Don't be afraid of that. Some folks prefer to go to a Christian psychologist and a Christian psychiatrist. Amen. Praise God. Go. They will share something with you and it will reveal, God will reveal something through them to you. Maybe even about the generational sin and curses in your own family. All knowledge is God's knowledge. All truth is God's truth, regardless of the messenger. Talk more about that. I would love that. You have to buy me a cup of coffee though, because we're not going to do it right now. So God didn't just, God then provided for their physical needs. You know what God says here down to verse 21? He says, you fed them in the wilderness with manna. You gave them water from the rock to drink. Their clothes and their shoes did not wear out for 40 years. Man, I love to have some, hey, look, y'all know how expensive shoes are, right? I love to have some Asics that last 40 years. And I didn't have to buy a pair of Asics for 40 years. My budget would be nice, right? Okay. But God provided for their physical needs. 
Listen, along the way, we continue to trust God with whom we are in covenant relationship. Because even while you deal with these, if you deal with these difficult things and you want to grow spiritually and God allows you to know some of these things about the possible generational sins in your own family, he's going to continue to give you his presence. He's going to continue to meet your basic needs. He's never going to leave you or forsake you while you take this journey. Amen. So number six, and you say, oh, I thought he was done. So worshiping God for his forgiveness. This is what God does in covenant relationship. God continues to forgive you. And by the way, because of Jesus Christ, all of your sins, past, present, and future are already forgiven. How my sins that I'm going to commit tomorrow forgiven? All, but, because, I don't know, because God said it and because Jesus did it. Amen? And that your sins are forgiven. Why is that so important? Because God is patient, because he's slow to anger, because he loves you, because God's not going to break covenant with you, even though sometimes in our sinfulness, we will try to break covenant with God. So next slide. Here's what we're going to see this week and next week. Don't want to give too much away because Anthony's got to bring it next week. Listen, here's what we see. Generational sins of the fathers the children of Israel were rebellious, and we're going to see that in the rest of this um, poem of penitence. They were rebellious. They were arrogant. They were stubborn. We're going to do this our way. God said, okay, well, let me just slow you down for 40 years, right? Stubbornness is a form of pride, I believe. They were disobedient, and they were idolatrous. Now, you and I may not worship a statue or a thing, but anything in my life that I make more important than my relationship with God is idolatry. So here, here we're going to continue to see the sins of the fathers right throughout this prayer, but the Israelites are confessing these sins. Next slide. Here's what else you're going to continue to see. Verse 21 sets up the pattern for the rest of the chapter, but we are already seeing that God is gracious, God is forgiving, God is merciful, God is slow to anger, he is compassionate, God is a promise keeper, excuse me, a compassionate promise keeper. God does what he says he's going to do. God is always present, and we talked about that. He will not forsake you or leave you, and he is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. So with a God like that, who loves you, saves you, and is patient with you and with me, we can go, so what? So what is this? Regardless of the patterns of sin that you identify in your family and the generations of your family, and regardless of whether or not even you and I have sinned in the exact same manner, today is the day that we can confess our sins, repent of our sins, and move forward in a move forward with some peace and some joy in our lives, knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, knowing that we have forgiveness and we don't have to continue to repeat the sins of our mothers and fathers. Amen. But it takes diligence, us staying in the Word of God, walking closely with the Lord, allowing, allow, this wasn't on the slide, but you could write it down, allowing, I'm going to say it right allowing people to speak into your life as God brings them and don't cut them off. And our pride, arrogance, and in my pride, arrogance, and stubbornness, I cut someone off last week in a pretty ugly manner 
Matter of fact, it's not inappropriate for church, so I'm not going to share it with you. But, but again, goes all the way back to the, you know, the sinfulness of my flesh. can go all the way back to the generational sins in my family. But again, church is almost over. You don't want to hear about that. So, so what? Recognizing, allowing someone to speak into your life who will tell you the truth even when you don't like it. Amen? And it might not be someone with whom you have that agreement. God just might choose to do it, and you might have to be ready to be humble and hear it. Oh, my. That doesn't sound pleasant to anyone today, does it? No. So the so what is, even though there are these generational sins and things to which you and I might have a weakness to those particular sins, God loves you. God is patient. Be encouraged. Read God's word. Meditate. Know that God is going to give you the victory if you walk closely with him. Amen?